What's new in the ever more costly claims component of pharmacy? And what do you need to know to keep up with recent developments? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Garrett D'Antoni of NavRx. Now, we've had a number of discussions about pharmacy, but there's a lot of new stuff going on. So we invited Garrett to update us with that. Welcome, Garrett. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So what's happening in the PBM space right now or what's been happening for a while that, you know, requires some new solutions? What are the problems we're trying to solve? Well, I think you got a number of different things you have to look at. It's not one big silver bullet anymore to solve some of these problems. So, you know, with the PBMs consolidating with the carriers, you know, you had that uh, merger, you had uh, CVS, you know, and Optum and this, this carved in model that we've moved back to has created some challenges for, for brokers when you start to look at a lot of the innovative programs that are going on in, in the industry. It's making it very difficult for some of these brokers to get files, to be able to do assessments, to do evaluations, to say, hey, is this program a good fit for my client? So that's one thing that we know we're, we're seeing a lot of. We're having, you know, some challenges with, but also, you know, with the, the consolidation of specialty pharmacies with the very expensive, like Zolgensmas that are coming out, the $2 million drugs. And how do you handle that? You know, how do you manage something that's terribly expensive? And everything coming down the pipeline is expensive medications, gene therapies that we have to figure out a way to to pay for those medications. So, I mean, what do you do? I mean, there's more and more interest in self-funding, which is good because it means that employers are kind of being able to see costs and see data. What do you do with a million dollar drug that so it doesn't you don't deny a patient a drug that they need? or an employee drug that they need, but you don't blow up your plan either. Well, I think you have to look at it as a two-prong approach, right? Clinically, is that drug appropriate? And then that information needs to get down to the patient that says, hey, look, there's a 10% chance of this working. There's a 50% chance of this working, and it's going to cost a million dollars. And that information, I don't think, is getting down the line to the patient to make the decisions, especially the out-of-pocket costs that they're going to have involved, maybe the debt that they're going to leave their families. We're seeing older patients that are just saying, nope, you know what? I'm going to ride this thing out. I'm not going to take the medication because I don't want to leave my kids with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. So there's companion diagnostics that are tied to a lot of these drugs that people aren't familiar with. And really what the drug companies want is for those drugs to be successful. So if a doctor puts you on a, let's just say, $100,000 medication that doesn't work, 
that doctor is not going to use that drug in the future. And the patient is going to have the negative bias towards that drug that says, I paid 100000 and it didn't work. So with these companion diagnostics, they're encouraging people to look into that. And I, this is, I don't think, very well known in the industry that these expensive medications, the manufacturers is actually encouraging the clinical side to be done and making sure that drug's going to work for you. And we'll talk about this a little later, but pharmacogenetic testing is part of that. And, and a lot of this stuff, yes, is in its infancy. The gene-drug interaction part of it is, is not well known. But as we move towards that, and as we move towards more clinical approach to these expensive medication, you have to get the information that says, yes, this drug is you know, great for me. Or if it's not, like you said, let's not deny it, but let's give the God's honest truth that said, hey, this has only got about a 10% chance of working. Do you want to pay that much? Well, and, and for a lot of these new drugs, there aren't pharmacologic equivalents. So is something like pharmacogenetic testing the only way to ensure that drug X is appropriate for patient Y? In the future, it will be. Right now, there's not enough data and research. There's not enough drugs that are mapped genetically that says, okay, this is how you're going to metabolize it. You know, And so as we move towards that, you're right. It, it comes down to, do I take it or do I not take it? You know, and there's enough data out there on a lot of these medications. There's enough trials, clinical trials out there that, that can give you a pretty good idea of how well it's going to work. And if, guess what? If this $100,000 medication has a 10% chance of working, there's some $50 medications that work just the same. So now we got to have to make a financial decision of which one do I want to pay for and which one do I want to try based on clinical outcomes and that data that says, look, these are going to be similar or maybe it's one's 20%, one's 15, but the $100,000 difference is going to make that decision for you. Can you explain a question that I hear a lot is what are NDC codes and why are there so darn many of them? (laughs) <laughs> so that, that's a great question. The, the, the National Drug Code is basically on every, if you go into a pharmacy and you pick up something over the counter, medication over the counter, whether it be Pepto-Bismol, any of those, look on the bottle and it'll have an NDC code on it. And that code basically tells who the manufacturer is, what the drug is, what the dose is. But what happens is the manufacturer submits NDC codes to the publishing database, right? we got two main ones out there, Metaspan and First Data Bank. Those publishing databases accept any NDC submitted by a manufacturer at any price. So think of it as a car being shipped to a Toyota dealer with an MSRP on it, right? And then the dealership might add a discount to it. So you have, I think Lipitor 10 milligrams has 74 different NDCs based on all the generic manufacturers plus Pfizer plus, you know, every manufacturer for every pack size has an NDC code tied to it. And so this is where the confusion sets in with pricing is which one do I choose, right? Now I can choose the highest, create a huge spread, or I could choose the lowest and be the best for my patient. But guess what? When you audit out, every single one of those NDCs is going to audit out correctly. But is the NDC something that a physician looks at when they're at the point of prescription? Absolutely not. And then a lot of them don't have access to that information. Why? Well, it's highly complicated. It's You talk about every drug and there's the thousands and thousands of NDC codes that are out there that are 
you know, published. I mean, how do you manage that? How would I go and pick that? But, you know, you're picking the drug and you're leaving it up to the pharmacy and then the PBM to decide which NDC to use at that point. And there's no input from anybody. It's just the doctor yeah. prescribes the drug by name and then whatever the pharmacist and the PBM says is what you get. Absolutely. So PBMs specify particular NDCs to pharmacies when they fill? They can. This is where the spread pricing comes in. So a pharmacy could submit uh, one NDC. The PBM can charge the client on a different NDC. So you're basically switching the NDC from one price to another. And this is where it makes it very, very difficult to audit and to find, hey, you know, which one are we going to use? Now, the PBMs also have the ability to choose which one to use, the lowest, the highest, the median, the one that was submitted. So there is some management that's involved in there. But it is a very complex problem that you have to say, well, okay, even though, and we've seen this, we've had Lipitor $5 a pill for the generic come through and going, well, who's actually submitting that and who's actually accepting that? And guess what? It happens every day. Is there a solution for it? Yeah, you can actually manage and, and audit and be able to verify. Now, you have to get the information. That's the most difficult part when you go to a PBM and say, well, let me see what you actually paid the pharmacy. Is that what you billed me? And so that's when they're, you know, they're, they're saying it's proprietary information. You know, they're not going to allow you to see that because it's going to disclose their pricing. Well, that's telling me you're hiding something. The ones, and there are some PBMs out there that says, sure, come look at our contracts. Come look at our bills and invoices that we paid. We charged you what was, you know, charged to us. And so you do have a couple of the PBMs that are the, the true pass through that are not touching those. And they're, they're even going beyond that and saying, okay, well, we're going to actually deny or exclude a bunch of these very expensive NDCs. Is that what we mean? We Occasionally on the program, we've heard the term fiduciary model PBM or fully transparent PBM. Is that what they mean? Yeah, absolutely. So if you went to them and you said, hey, I want to see what NDC was submitted from this particular pharmacy and what you paid them. And they'll say, sure. You know, and you have others that said, absolutely not. You can't see that. So if you have the data, yeah, you, there is things you can do about it. You can submit a list or have the PBM exclude all the, the very expensive NDCs that are tied to something like uh, the atorvastatin. Interesting. So all in all now, with all of these newer drugs coming to market and all the NDC codes and whatnot, we always hear numbers of 15 or 20% of all, all spend is pharmacy. What's the number that you guys are working off of? How much are employers actually spending on pharmacy? Oh, you're getting up at 30%. I've seen them as high as 50% now. So it's it's quickly approaching, and it may even overtake medical, you know, coming up just depending on the utilization. But you were around 15% probably 10 years ago, and that's crept up, and it keeps creeping up to, to over 30 for most of the, the groups that we look at. How much of that is volume of prescriptions and how much of that is cost of drugs? Do you know? It's both. I mean, we, we say in this country, you got a pill for every ill now. So every time you go into the doctor, they'll prescribe you basically, to, no matter what your condition is, you're getting a drug when you leave there. And then you have the, the let's call it the polytherapy problem where the one drug causes your stomach ache. So they put you on another drug. And before you know it, you're on five different medications and this is where, you know, the PGX, the pharmacogenetic testing, the companion diagnostics, the clinical aspect is going to help with that. 
in the past it's just been trial and error and whatever ailed you, you got some medication for it and you just took it. And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. So one of the things that I know is going on is this thing called prescription care coordination. What is that and how does that impact employers? So it's, it's kind of what we're talking about. And you see it more on the medical side where you're looking to, to go to the most cost, uh, you know, efficient clinics. You're getting the care that you needed. So you're, you're seeing a lot of PBM shifting to technology to help with this. So whether it be transportation and whether, it, you know, what you talk about infusion, oncology medications, where they need to go to an infusion clinic or to a hospital or to the, the physician's office to get their medications. You know, the, the PBMs are actually, you know, putting out some technology to help with that. A lot of apps are coming out to be able to make sure that people are taking their medications because when you are taking them correctly and they're working, they do help. So being able to manage that process, being able to pay for them is a big part of why people stop taking medications. They just can't afford them. Right. And, and what we're going through now in our society and our economy and, and people losing jobs that becomes more important than ever. You're going to feed your family before you take a medication. So, you know, it, it becomes a care coordination model is trying to bring all those pieces together, but then also bring in the clinical side that we talked about in the financial side that we talked about. So if I can purchase a medication from five different places, I probably want to buy it from the place that's most cost efficient. So, a new thing that we're hearing more and more of, we, we've heard about medical tourism for a long time, but now we're starting to hear about pharmacy tourism. What's that all about? Is that just buying drugs from Canada? No. So you got to break them up into two. You have international, which is buying drugs from, from Canada, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, and we call that self-importation. And lately Congress has, you know, gone back and forth about whether they're going to allow it, not allow it. You know, the administration came out and says, well, we're going to allow for insulin. So that's something that's kind of been up in the air about how we're going to regulate that. And down the road, we're going to have some track and trace and some drug supply chain acts that, that are going to affect that. We don't know what that is yet, but that's something that, that you just got to monitor. RX Tourism is actually traveling to uh, certain countries and being able to pick up your medication you know, the, the good part about ARC tourism is you actually go and you meet with a physician. So you, in a way, get a second opinion from, from a physician. Uh, you're able to pick up your medication. You're, you're able to bring 90 days supply back. And some of those laws are, are starting to change where they're going to allow telemedicine to be able to continue to get that medication from, you know, Cayman Islands is a big one. 
I know some, some people go to Mexico, Costa Rica. So you have these countries that you're getting up to 50, 70% discount on the medication. You're traveling there three to four times a year. You're bringing back basically 90 day supply and you're able to keep some coordination or, or continuity of care, we'll call it, between your prescribing physician, your physician now in a foreign country, and being able to monitor and watch that and still get tremendous amount of savings. So literally, the billion-dollar question is, why are those drugs so much more expensive here than they are if you take a vacation to Mexico or to the Caymans or wherever? Middlemen. I mean, that, that's really what it is. So you take, I'll, I'll talk to the, about the Cayman Islands model, is they're buying direct. So their, their government allows this physician and, and this clinic to buy direct from the same manufacturers that we're buying from, but you don't have wholesalers, distributors, PBMs in the middle of it. They're just buying direct. So they're able to purchase those medications a lot cheaper, and then they pass through the cost. That's an awful lot of markup. How many hands actually touch a drug in, in the U.S. before it gets to me at my pharmacy? Minimum four. Wow. Sometimes five, sometimes six. It sounds incredibly inefficient. It is. It absolutely is. And, and so that's one of the things you, you you know that we're all talking about is who's who's to blame for the cost of these medications being so expensive, right? We're quick to blame the pharmaceutical manufacturer, but as you and I talked about, the physician, right, can mark up that drug 500%, the infusion clinic, the hospitals, you know, the pharmacies, everybody's got a markup in there. And everybody, you know, I understand is trying to make a dollar and, and I get it. But when you have five and six people in the middle of that, right, it, it gets a little expensive. So just kind of a strange question from left field. If, if I'm being prescribed a drug, at what point is, is there a tipping point where it makes sense for me to get my butt on a plane and go to the Caymans? Uh, yeah, 5000 usually right about $5,000 is that tipping point. You know, that's where, where you, you're going to hit the, the actual putting in the effort to travel your flights, your hotels. When you talk about the importation model, the Canada model, that number drops significantly because you're reducing and cutting out the expenses of, of traveling. And it's just actually right. ordering just like you would mail order currently. So we alluded to this earlier and we've got about three, four minutes left. What is pharmacogenomic testing? How pervasive is it at this point, and what do you see as the future of it? What does it mean? What does it do? It's in its infancy, but all you're really looking at is gene-drug interaction. Okay, so I'm going to look at how my certain gene genetic makeup and the gene variations that I may have as an individual can metabolize a certain medication, how it can break it down. So that metabolism you think is ultra-slow, ultra-fast, or normal, that will dictate that if I take 10 milligrams, that I don't break it down, right? I break it down too fast and I'm getting too much of the active ingredients all at one time, right? And I, we don't know what gene variation we have as an individual. So how are we supposed to know how we're going to metabolize that drug and, and whether that drug is one, appropriate for me, and two, whether that dose is correct. And I always relate it to the opiate epidemic that we have in this country. Right. Had we known that these gene variations would be or we would be ultra rapid metabolizer and we get this huge dose of that opiate. Right. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be as bad as it is if we if we had pharmacogenetic testing, you know, when this first started. But it's in its infancy. 
there's only about 35 drugs that the FDA has actually put warnings on, on boxes of those drugs to say, hey, this is a test you should consider if you're going to take this medication because the research and the data basically says that, yeah, we know that it can be metabolized differently. And so I truly believe in the next five, seven years when we have all the drugs mapped that you won't be on a medication without this test. And it's individualized. It's, it's they, they match the drug to me. Does this answer part of the question of why drug A works so well for person X and doesn't really work for person Y? Absolutely. Interesting. You hear that a lot with the pain medications. Like I, I took Vicodin, it did absolutely nothing for me. And other people are like, I can't take it because it makes me sick. Right? That's your perfect example of how you metabolize and how you got the active ingredients of, of the painkiller. So we've got about a minute left. What do you think the future holds for PBMs? We talked a little bit about the pharmacogenetic testing, but beyond all of that, where do you see it going? Well, I, I think you, you're finding more efficiencies. I think you see a lot of PBMs, especially in the mid-market, that are teaming up with different models that we talked about, the care coordination type, where you're looking at these innovative programs, whether it's managing clinical, whether it's the financial side, alternative funding, RX tourism, the self-importation, international model, the technology, right? So you're starting to see a lot of PBMs kind of marrying up or partnering with a lot of these companies to drive more efficiencies within the care. It's the same thing as the carbon model with the carriers and the PBMs coming together, Express Script Cigna models that, you know, the, the theory behind it is if you have the medical with the pharmacy, we, we can look more in the clinical side and be more efficient with the prescribing of medications. And that really comes down to the clinical and, and what we talked about earlier. And then the financial side is what we're going to have to really figure out, you know, this year and next year is how we're going to get these medications at a more cost-effective price point. You're seeing a lot of innovation in the industry to be able to do that. And as we continue to move down into these more expensive medication, these gene therapies that are coming out, the million, two million, three million dollar medication, we're going to have to come up with almost mortgage type payment methods, you know, and you're starting to see it a little bit with some of the PBMs, their five year, you know, payment plans to be able to pay for these medications. So that's really, I think the future is figuring out how you're going to pay for the Zolgen's modes of the world. And that's a great place to leave our discussion for today. Garrett D'Antoni of NavRx, thank you for sharing your expertise with our audience. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. 